Thanks for listening to the podcast of Hope Church in East Hampton, Connecticut. Our mission is to love God, love people, and serve the world. To find out more about Hope Church, be sure to check out our website at cthope.com. Oh, I needed that this morning. I think sometimes when we're in the presence of God, you just realize... um, Maybe more than, we, more than we know how much we need God's presence and how much we need to rest in his love. Um, so thank you to our worship team, again, just for, um, just for always um, their humility and for leading us into God's presence. And I just want to pray as we start this morning. So, God, I thank you that you're here with us. God, I thank you that, um, God, for my own soul and my own life, I just feel... Um, your presence and your peace and your joy, and I ask that that would flood all of us today, um, and I pray that however we came in today, God, that, um, that we would all encounter you and experience you and know your love in a new way. Amen. Amen. So have you guys ever had a situation where you did not meet the requirements to be invited somewhere? Maybe. Yeah. Um, any, any golfers out there? few golfers, yeah. So if you're a golfer, I would not call myself a golfer. Even, on the, even mini golf is not like, not my thing. I mean, I enjoy it, but it's, it's, it's sad. Um, but even if I was a good golfer, there's one tournament that I could not play in. Ollie Roberts mentions that there's three, golf, uh, three out of golf's four major tournaments, the U.S. Open, the British Open, and the PGA Championship, have long held equivalent male and female competitions, but the one that does not is the Masters. So I could not participate in that tournament even if I wanted to. However, most of you men in here, even if you are good golfers, I would imagine that probably there's not anyone in here today that's quite good enough to be invited to the Masters, right? It's pretty exclusive. And I'm not saying it's just women, right? There's, there's plenty of things men aren't invited to. I mean, we could start with things like a, you know, a lactation support group or something that you wouldn't be <laughs> maybe able to participate in. But there's like um, self-defense courses. There's, if you look up online, there's plenty of women's events that men, you, I'm sorry, are not, are not welcome to attend. Um, what about any kids or teens in here? Anybody? Yeah? So when you're a kid... Man, isn't it hard when you find out for the first time that there's like an age limit for certain things or even a height limit? Like who's gone to Six Flags or like a theme park? Has anyone ever gotten to a ride and you see that sign that says must be this tall to ride? And you're like, man, I'm so close. And everyone's like, next year, next year maybe. And we can feel discouraged when we aren't invited to something. Um... Then there's the unofficial, thi- unofficial invitations to things where, you know, there's not official rules for who gets invited and who doesn't, but we may feel like, man, I didn't get invited to that party. I didn't get invited to that event. Someone overlooked me. And we might start to feel, on our worst days, insecure, like, well, what is wrong with me? Why? What about me makes it so that someone will not invite me? I think we've lived long enough to maybe have some fears and insecurities about who will let us in. And I want to mention, this is what we talked about a little bit in, the, in week one, but I believe we were designed for something. I believe we were all designed for love. And I mentioned that the Bible says that God is love, that Jesus is love. But in this series called Hungry, we've been kind of testing this theory. Well, if Jesus is love, what does that really look like? 
And so, again, Tom mentioned last week, is, is Jesus really that thing that we are looking for? And we looked in week one at the story of Jesus. We're like, let's, let's, if we believe that God is what we're hungry for, then let's look at the life of Jesus and see how he filled the people around him, how he met their needs, how he interacted with other people. And in week one, we heard the story of God literally feeding a crowd of 5,000 hungry people. But we found that God wasn't just there to, to fill their, their physical hunger, but he was there to fill their spiritual hunger as well. Um, and then Tom talked last week a little bit about um, the song from U2 that I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? And maybe we can all relate to this, this um, thing of trying and trying in all these different ways in our lives to find something that will fill us. And, and sometimes we have that moment where we say, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. But he talked about God's kingdom and how Jesus came and he spoke these words of life and these words of hope for the broken and the weary and these words that are meant to fill us. And today, I want to talk about one of the things I believe that we're all hungry for, whether we realize it or not, and that is a relationship, a relationship with someone who knows us and loves us deeply. If last week's song, um, the theme song was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, this theme song for this week might be uh, the Cardigans' Love Fool. Anyone know that song? Love me, love me, say that you love me. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. Right there. That's... We, have this, we have this desire, right? That song goes on to say, like, I cried and I prayed and I begged for you to love me. It's this song of, like, desperation of, I just, I just want you to love me. I just want to be seen. I want to be valued. And so I think what all of us are asking for, maybe, is this sign. A sign that says, come as you are. <clears throat> and I think, maybe as we're going through this question about Jesus, maybe we have this question of, would this sign be on the door of Jesus' kingdom? Would this sign be on the door of Jesus' kingdom? Would he say, come as you are? I think we have this fear that maybe we won't be loved or accepted, and we wonder, because all of us have experienced something called shame. I believe every one of us has experienced this. Um, it's been around as long as Adam and Eve. Shame is defined as a painful feeling of humiliation or distress caused by the consciousness of wrong or foolish behavior. All right, it's this feeling of, of humiliation or distress. And I would say it goes beyond even just our behavior um, when we do something wrong. I think there's a part of us that fears somewhere that something about our identity or who we are is not good enough, is, is not okay and that that is going to cause us to have, um, it's going to impact our relationships with God, with other people. And it's interesting to me to think that there was a pre-shame time. That in the Garden of Eden, there was no shame. That sounds so beautiful, doesn't it? I would, I would like be there in a heartbeat if I could. <clears throat> But then as you all know the story of Adam and Eve and the Garden of Eden, and we look in chapter 2 in Genesis, and there's, um, there's this creation story, but then there's something that happens, and, and um, the first sin, the first disobedience occurs. And so ever since then, people have experienced shame. <clears throat> and I, um, we call it the fall, right? The fall, when, um, when man and woman, um, their relationship with God was impacted and I love, Nijay Gupta is a, is a professor and an author, and he refers to the fall more as an unraveling. 
And I think that's a really good descriptor. It's this unraveling of perfect relationships and the harmony and, and the beauty that God intended, his ideal, all unraveled. <clears throat> and so the thing is, ever since the fall, <clears throat> excuse me, I would say we have been searching for an, an antidote to shame. We've been searching for the remedy to shame. And when I looked up antonyms for shame, do you know what one of the first words that comes up is? Approval. Approval is one of the first opposites we see for shame. And the interesting thing is, I think if we look at our lives, sometimes the things that we're trying to get from God, we can recognize that we need it because we're trying to find it also from other people in our lives. Some of us might say we're even approval addicts, all right? I don't know if you're there. I definitely consider myself a recovering people pleaser. Um, but it's something, I think even if you're not the personality that like craves approval all the time, I think all of us minimally want to know that we are okay, that there's a safe place, that there's a place we can go and come as we are. <clears throat> the question is, can I be seen and loved as I am? Lisa Turkhurst um, is a Christian author maybe you've heard of. Uh, she was speaking on the Hey, It's the Let's Go podcast. And she said this, we will always want from other people what we desperately fear we will not get from God. We always want from other people what we desperately fear we will not get from God. I'm like, Lisa, get out of my head, man. That hit me pretty hard. Because I think sometimes, we're in the series on hunger, I think sometimes um, our fear reveals our hunger. That thing we're afraid we're not going to get is maybe the thing that we're most desperate for. And so if we have a desperate desire for approval or acceptance or to be loved by other people, maybe it's partly because we fear deep down we will not get that from God. And so we ask ourselves in this, in this series, in Jesus, is that shame truly reversed? Are we accepted by Jesus? Thank you, Lorraine. It's all that singing, you know, I'm... Too high. Too high for my voice. So we, we ask ourselves, um, are we accepted by Jesus? And if you look at your life and your interactions with others, maybe you do see a little bit of that thread going through your life of where you're, you're looking for approval and acceptance from other people. And maybe you're wondering if Jesus gets you. Um, now, I'm sure by now, have anyone, has anyone seen the He Gets Us commercials that have been out recently? Yeah. Several people have. I know they did those during the um, Super Bowl, and they've, it's, you know, it's kind of a big deal. I think I'm not going to go entirely into the commercials themselves. I know there's a lot of critique on either side, so that's not my point here. Um, but I thought it was interesting. It's definitely brought up a lot of conversation, hasn't it? And I was looking on Instagram recently, and um, a friend had posted... Um, about different things people were saying about this commercial. And one person um, said that, oh, these commercials are not true because Jesus was not inclusive. This person's statement was that these commercials can't be true because Jesus is not inclusive. Now, how does that sit with you? Yeah. Maybe you've never had that question. Maybe you've never really thought, oh, is Jesus inclusive? Maybe, maybe if you're here if you're, and you're really honest, that's deep down, you're like, yeah, it is Jesus inclusive? And there may be others of you in here that are like, that for, for you, inclusion, that word is a trigger word. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If we start talking about inclusion and just including everybody, then, then we're talking about watering down truth and it's a slippery slope away from God. And, and I get that fear. I get that. 
But I think sometimes we have to look at what someone is saying and we have to look at the meaning underneath what they're saying. Okay, as parents, we do this all the time, right? Sometimes our kids say one thing and we know that somewhere underneath it, they're, they're, they're trying to ask us something totally different. Even my three-year-old, okay, when she, she'll throw a tantrum, she'll throw things. There's times where she'll say to me, go away, I don't want you here, I, go away. And maybe I react to that sometimes, and maybe, yes, sometimes I have to set boundaries and say, okay, we don't throw things at people. Um, certainly not at their heads, okay? We at least try to just <laughs> aim low. Um, but listen to me. Sometimes when my, when my daughter is asking me that, when she's acting that way, what she is really saying is, will you love me when I am at my worst? In other words, she is saying, what is the limit of your love? I need to know. And so at the root of this comment, I don't think Jesus is inclusive. You can almost hear a deep soul question there. You can almost hear this underlying longing. I am hungry. We are hungry to be accepted and loved by Jesus. And I'm just not sure that Jesus would meet that need. And so my question today is, if we're searching to be included and loved, can we find that in Jesus? Or might we be disappointed? And I wonder if we're honest, maybe you could think of a list of things that maybe, maybe you would say would disqualify someone from, from being with Jesus. Maybe you think that for some people the sign would not say, come as you are, but would say, get that together, come back later. <laughs> you know what I mean? If we're, if we're really honest, maybe we have these, these fears, these questions. And so I want to, again, I want to look at Jesus' life, and I want to look at the people um, that he interacted with. And I want us to remember, too, as we look back at Jesus' life, that this was a a different culture. So some of the people that were marginalized then um, may not be exactly the same as the people today that we might say, oh, I don't know about them. I don't know if they would be included. Um, So again, we're talking about in Jesus' time, um, Israel was controlled by Rome. And the Roman society, um, there was, you know, definitely a social hierarchy. You did not want to be at the bottom of that hierarchy. So slaves, the poor people, People, women often were marginalized. Even in the Bible, we see people with physical disabilities. Um, the, the religious leaders would say, you know, oh, who sinned? Why this person must be disabled because of something they did or something their parents did. Um, and so it was this stigma. And by the way, Jesus over, overturned that idea that someone sinned and that's why they were disabled. And we see that in his um, in the gospels. But who else? Maybe children. Children might not have been viewed as as um, very valuable in that society. Um, additionally, we might have questions about, you know, sinners. That, that same question from the Garden of Eden. The religious leaders of the time made it very clear that there's righteous people and there's unrighteous people. And there was perpetuated this idea that if you are a sinner, you cannot be in God's presence. So in order to know if Jesus would have selectively held up this sign, I think we need to look at the people that he hung out with, the, whether his actions show that he accepted people. Let's put it a different way, maybe. Who are the people that Jesus spent time with? Who are the people that Jesus might say, that's my friend, that's my friend? In fact, the message title today is Jesus, friend of blank. Friend of who? And I'm hoping by the time we're done talking today, you can answer that question, you can fill that in. Um, So let's just start with a few people that Jesus interacted with. Um, In week one, I talked about, again, Jesus feeding the 5,000 people, and I kind of related to them, like Jesus looked at them and said they were like lost sheep, and he had compassion on them. And if you may remember, I said like zigzag, plop, they were going over the, they were like stupid sheep, they were not very bright. And so when Jesus says we're like sheep, we're like these, you know, 
smelly, we're lost, we're confused, we're whatever, we're not for the brightest bulbs in the, in the bunch, but God chose to have compassion. And even last week, Tom talked about all these people that were following Jesus, and they were a diverse group of people. And so even from the first two weeks, we kind of get a little, a little bit of an idea that maybe Jesus was more inclusive than we might have originally believed. The people that he, were, that he was hanging out with um, were, were from all these different backgrounds. But let's start with maybe something really simple. Children. Again, do I have any children in here? A few? Who is the youngest child in here, I wonder? Just shout out your age. 38. 38. Man. Anyone younger than 38 in here? No. 69? Four. Ah, oh, so can't even. Look at you. Grayson. 12. So you might, if you, especially if you're little, like how many of you have kids have been like, man, I can't even do all the things my older brother and sister can do. I can't stay up as late. And when my, when my brother and sister hang out with their friends, they don't even want me to be there. They just say, ah, oh, you're annoying. Go away. Maybe you've experienced that. And so you might wonder if you're a kid in here, would Jesus want to hang out with you? Would Jesus want to hang out with you? What do you think? The answer is Yes. The answer is yes. In Matthew 19, 13 through 14, um, it talks about the, the parents and they brought their little children to Jesus and they, and they asked him to pray over their children and put their hands on him. And the people at the time, the disciples, again, the people that should have been like the ones that really understood God's heart, they were like, no, no. They rebuked the parents. They tried to send the kids away. And Jesus' answer is so perfect. He says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And this is amazing because if you're a kid in here, God is saying not only are you invited to the kingdom, it belongs to you. There is something about childlike faith that God says is admirable. And so if Jesus was here, he would absolutely be sitting at the kids' table and he would be hanging out with kids because he valued people um, of all ages. Okay? So we can see that that's one, one po- thing that points to God's inclusion. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go off then on for women. I don't know about you, and I know I talk about this sometimes up here, but when I was a kid, I would read through the Bible, and there were some passages that I was like, man, I don't know. I don't know what God says about women. And I remember asking my dad, I was like, does God really like us? Like, I would look at my brother, and I'm like basically asking, does Jesus love me the way he loves my brother? Or is there something wrong with me because I'm a woman, right? I'm reading this um, a pre-publication version of Nijay Gupta's book right now. It'll be out on March 13th, but it's called Tell Her Story. And he talks about the fact that even though Jesus had these 12 like inner circle disciples who were men, um, he talks about how they were kind of like multiple circles of people that traveled with Jesus. And some of, the, some of the people that traveled with him were definitely women. And Nijay says this. He says, I used to think that Jesus went from place to place with men, and yet Luke widens our perspective to see that these women who were healed and set free from demons by Jesus, not only did they travel with Jesus wherever he went, but they funded his ministry out of their personal wealth. My point here is that wherever Jesus was, women were there too, learning from him and also supporting him. And so again, if you look in the, in the Gospels at the stories of people that Jesus interacted with, it was he, he healed women. He, he said to Mary, who sat at his feet and learned from him, he commended her for that. There was all these moments where he's interacting with women and he says, yes, you have a place at the table. Yes, you have my acceptance and my love. So we could also look at other nationalities or ethnicities, right? We know that Jesus says he was initially sent to the lost sheep of Israel, um, 
But Jesus makes it very clear that he also came he came for everyone. He came for people of many different backgrounds. For one, we have the centurion soldier who came to Jesus and, and asked him to heal his, um, his servant who was sick. Um, in fact, the servant has so much faith that Jesus can heal his servant that he says, um, he says, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house to heal this guy. You can just say it from far away. You can do it remotely. I, I believe that it can happen. And, and Jesus heals that man's servant, even though he wasn't an Israelite. We might, we might say, oh, Maybe, maybe I'm not as special because I'm not, I'm not one of God's chosen people. And, and God makes it clear throughout his story that he is a God for everyone. Um, in fact, again, similar to my story of, oh, can God accept me? Does God love me as a woman? I'm reading a book called, uh, by Esau Macaulay called Reading While Black. Um, and he poses a very similar question. He says this. Um, he says, I want to find out whether God saves me from my blackness, which he says is the colorblind kingdom model, he says, or whether my blackness is a unique manifestation of the kingdom of God. Is it a unique manifestation? If I, is God going to accept me? Not only is God going to accept me, but is he going to say, I value you. I value who I've made you to be. And so he, he looks and part of, his, part of his answer comes from looking ahead. Looking ahead to Revelation 7, 9 through 10, where the Bible refers to God's kingdom being comprised of a great multitude, sorry, that no one can count, comprised of all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. And it says, they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who is seated on the throne and the Lamb. And so Esau makes this point that, that when we come to God, it's not like he's, he says, oh, okay, I, mean, I need to like change everyone to make everyone the same. God not only sees you and loves you, but he values you. And in fact, God has made you in distinct ways to represent his kingdom and, and the manifestation of his glory in unique ways. And so he says, I value you. I value exactly who you are and who you bring to the table. Because my kingdom is a kingdom of diversity. Even in the Old Testament, we might look back and say, okay, well, is God consistent? If Jesus accepted people, or maybe we see that in the future, but what about God from the Old Testament? And I love that there's a passage um, in the Old Testament that talks about, um, there, that basically, people ask the same question, am I going to be excluded? And there's a verse that says, let no foreigner, like let no person who's not part of Israel, let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath and choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Better than sons and daughters. I think this is a reminder that, that our identity in Christ, man, it goes so far beyond any category we have here on earth and it goes on to say, any foreigner who binds himself to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and who hold fast to my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar for my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. For all nations. And I think this is just, again, I know we're bouncing around a little bit here, but if we look at Jesus and if we look historically at God, God is a God of inclusion. He says, there's no like minimum requirement here for you to come and be my child, to be in my presence. 
And then we get to this idea, we've talked about maybe some different categories. We might think of people that might feel less valued or less included. But then we get to this idea about sinners, right? That maybe some of us are worried about, maybe that feeling of shame that's sitting with you today. You say, okay, okay, God accepts everyone, but what about me? And you don't know what I've done. And here's what other people said about Jesus. This is interesting. Other people said, um, Jesus says, you know, people said, for John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, he has a demon. And the Son of Man, that's Jesus, Jesus came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. And again, the people that were accusing Jesus of this, of being these things, they were the religious leaders who felt threatened by Jesus' presence. And it's almost like, you know, in like a political campaign where your main goal is to, let's just find how I can cut down the opponent and find some way um, to show that they're, you know, there's something wrong with them, right? It's like, what can we find about Jesus that will make people stop following him? And so their thing that they, all they can come up with is, he's a friend of tax collectors and sinners, and even though they meant that as, as a, um, a smear on his name, I think Jesus would have said, yeah, yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. Because in fact, Jesus said, I came not for, the, not for the healthy, but for those who are sick. I came not for those who don't think they need me. I came for, I came for those who know they need me. Truthfully, he came for us all. It's just that the Pharisees weren't aware of their need for God. Jesus was a friend of sinners. In fact, he sought out sinners. And as a kind of final story, I know we've, we've bounced around a lot, but I wanted to share quickly the story of Zacchaeus that many of you know. In fact, maybe you've heard that song growing up, that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down for there, for I'm going to your house today. And so this story is, the story of Zacchaeus is, um, he's a tax collector and he was probably Jewish, but he would have been considered a traitor to his people because he was working for, for Rome and he was um, basically um, manipulating people, getting more money from them than he should have been. And so he was not popular. And what's interesting is you can see in the story that Zacchaeus was hungry. He, he had it all. He had everything he needed financially, Right. But he was hungry for something. He knew he was missing something. And so he's so desperate that he, Jesus is just going to come by and all he wants is just to see him. So he literally climbs up a tree to try to see Jesus. And Jesus passes by, but Jesus actually makes the first move. You'll notice that Jesus in the story says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come to your house today. Now, I don't know how we are in, in America today. Like, if someone just invites themselves over to my house, usually I'm like, oh, no, that's not. I'm um, sorry. Let's, let's plan something for a time when my kitchen floor doesn't have, like, you know, chocolate and whatever, whatever the children have dragged around the house. Um, like, I want to clean everything up. I want to make myself ready. Um, but Jesus says, hey, I'm inviting myself over to eat at your house. How's that sound? And Zacchaeus is like, Yes, okay, awesome, let's, let's do this. Um, and it's interesting because when, when Zacchaeus has Jesus come over, the people, the people all around him are kind of grumbling, muttering under their breath, but probably like not really under their breath, kind of loud enough that people can hear because that's what we do. Um, so they're like, how could Jesus go and eat with this, with this guy who's a sinner? How, how could he possibly, what kind of person is he that he's eating with this sinner? But if you've, if you've heard the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, after spending just an afternoon with Jesus, do you remember what he does? 
He says, everything I've cheated out of anybody, I'm going to give it back. If I have, if I have wronged someone, I'm going, to, I'm going to make it right over and beyond the, the original harm that I've done. And Jesus, in verse 10 and Luke 19, says, The Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. In other words, he says, I precisely came for Zacchaeus. I precisely came for the Samaritan woman. I precisely came for the lepers. I precisely came for the ones who feel excluded and ignored and marginalized. If you look through the stories of Jesus, everyone he interacted with was, in fact, a sinner. And in fact, we can look at certain people in the, in the Gospels and say, well, those were, those were real sinners. But man, you look at Jesus' disciples. Jesus' disciples, the ones who followed him, were doubters. And they were proud. And they were thick-headed sometimes. And they couldn't get it. And they had questions. And so, Jesus says, I, I, I'm accepting everyone. Now, I'm going to address a, briefly the pushback from earlier because I will say this. We may try to say that Jesus isn't inclusive because he claims to be the truth. And so, in other words, what happens when you don't agree with Jesus? And that's a rub for people, right? Ultimately, Jesus makes it clear that those who follow him do need to submit to his will, submit to his truth, submit to his authority, his way above their own. But I believe that some in the church seem to be shouting this mantra, change yourself and then come to Jesus as you are. Well, change yourself first and then come to Jesus. But listen, I don't, I don't think that's possible. I don't think we can change ourselves and come to Jesus as we are. Um, we have to let the Spirit change us. Just as Zacchaeus was impacted, his life totally and radically changed by being in the presence of Jesus, not the other way around. Zacchaeus did not, did not make right all his wrongs and then have Jesus invite him in. No. He met with Jesus, and Jesus radically changed him. Listen, when you are, are hurting, when you're bleeding, if you've got like a Monty Python situation and you've got a limb that's detached from your body, all right, let's just, let's just go all the way there. If you go to the ER, are you, are you so embarrassed by your, you know, severed limb that, that you're trying to like glue it back on or kind of like wipe up the blood a little bit, make yourself look okay before you see the doctor because heaven forbid he should see you in a terrible condition. No. You do not enter, you do not enter that ER and try to minimize your, it's only a flesh wound, right? You, you don't say that. You go into the doctor and you're like, um, I need to cut ahead of all these other people. If you're going to triage me, triage me right to the, you know, to the surgery because I am like, this is, this is a problem. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna like to lose blood here. When we go to the doctor, we come exactly as we are. We don't try to minimize the things that are wrong with us because we know that that doctor is there to, to help us is there to, um, to do surgery on us and to, and to make us whole. And listen, when you go to the doctor, here's the other thing. You don't go to the doctor and then come out like, like if I go in for, my, for arm surgery, he's not going to like throw in some, some, um, some facial reconstruction. He's not, he's not doing plastic surgery, right? Like the, the doc, just as a doctor isn't going to come in and change all of who you are, he says, I know, I come, I accept you as you are. I'm going to fix the parts of you that need to be changed but you have to let me see. You have to let, you have to come honestly as you are. 
And the doctor knows what to do to help you. And I want to I say this, that Jesus, I believe we, we may have this fear that Jesus is not inclusive. We may have this fear that somehow we have got to change ourselves, to fix ourselves up a little bit before Jesus can get to us. Right? Maybe if I'm going to be invited to the kingdom, I need to make myself look a little bit better. I got to just, you know, if I could just go like a whole week without doing this one sin that I know I keep doing over and over, maybe then I can go to Jesus. Man, that's not how it works. And in fact, I would suggest not, that not only that we can come to God as we are, I would suggest that that is the only way that we can come to Jesus. That is the only way because Jesus sees our hearts. He knows our lives. He knows all the thoughts in our minds before we even think them. And like a good doctor, Jesus will transform the parts of us that need to be transformed. He really will. When we enter his presence, the invitation to be with Jesus is always there. Okay, suit and tie, Sunday best optional. You can come however you are. You don't have to clean up to be in the kingdom I believe we, we may still have questions about submitting to him. We may still have questions about what he wants us to do. And I get that. And I believe that Jesus sees us even in those wrestling, even in those questions that we have. But the picture I get from Jesus is that he has compassion on people regardless of their background. He doesn't turn anyone away by their age or their gender. He doesn't, he doesn't turn away the people that society says are too much. Jesus included people before they chose to follow him. Listen, we, we took communion today, and I think this is vital for us to know. Jesus did not die selectively, okay? He did not die selectively. His blood is not, is not just for some people and not for everyone. Jesus says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And so if you have a question about whether you are good enough to follow God, do not let that stop you from, from entering his kingdom. He says, I see you and I love you. So I want to ask you something. I, I really believe, and I really believe that Jesus is the most inclusive person that I know. And I think one thing that maybe in our response, maybe it's not just this fear of whether God is inclusive. Maybe there's this little part of us that is afraid to accept God's radical love for us. Maybe we're afraid, afraid of it. We, we act like we're afraid of it for others, or I don't know if God would accept other people, but maybe we're afraid to embrace God's radical love for us. What shame did you walk in here with today? What things do you fear deep down might exclude you from an invitation to be with Jesus and his kingdom? If you've been walking with Jesus for a while, are there things you think, I'm, man, you maybe you start to feel, I'm too emotional, I'm too insecure, I'm, I'm, I've, I can't, I keep doing that same thing over and over and over again. I keep, I'm stuck in this pattern of negative behavior. And the Bible says we have an, an accuser. An accuser that's going to try to um, always remind us of all the things we are doing wrong, all the reasons we should not be with God. And God says, no, do not listen to that voice. The enemy keep, thinks he can keep us outside the waiting room, sitting there bleeding and in desperate need of God's love. And Jesus says, come to me as you are. Let me, let me heal you. Listen, I, I am, I'm just going to end with this thought. I, um, I know from talking with some of you, even this week, that one of the things we've so struggled with is this fear that God will not, that God cannot love us. And I, I just want you to know that we need to be able to accept God's love for us. If we're going to have full freedom in his kingdom, we have to accept his crazy, offensive, inclusive love for us. 
And Jesus said this to me way back when, years ago, and I just wrote this down. Let me love you. Let me love you. You need to accept my love, the fact that I died for you in your brokenness. You don't want to accept that I was broken for you, but when you refuse to accept what I've done, you can't live fully in my freedom. I love you. I love you. I love you. Don't try to fight it. God, Listen, I don't know what people came in here with. I don't know what shame that people maybe have been carrying around, not just for days or weeks, but for years. And I'm praying, Jesus, that in your name, that you'd break us free. You say you turn our shame into glory. And I'm asking that for people today, that we would not view anything that we've done or said or are as barriers to an invitation to be with you. And God, I ask that you would just... Um, as we come to you, as we come to you honestly and fully as we are, that you would begin to heal us and show us how to live in your freedom. I pray that over everyone, God. Amen.